Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we'll be talking about flathead syndrome. If you've ever seen a fresh newborn with a cone head, you know that babies' heads are moldable. So what happens when they spend too much time lying on one part of their skulls? How do flat spots affect development, and what can you do to correct them? Michelle Emanuel is here to tell us more. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by Valerie Welsh of Birthmark Doula and Birth Services. She is the first Patreon supporter of the Birthful podcast, and I am jumping with joy over here. Want the next Birthful episode to be brought to the world by you? Then go to patreon.com slash birthful and check out all the rewards. The Birthful podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty mamas and mamas-to-be. As always, thank you for listening and for all the love you give the show. You may have noticed that things were a bit different in the intro this week, and that is because I was, so the story is, I was brainstorming with some birthday friends recently about how to make the podcast a sustainable endeavor, and one of them suggested I put it directly in your hands by creating a Patreon page. So I did that, and basically this is me doing the PBS thing and asking for your support but in a way more creative and rewarding, rewarding for you manner. If you don't know what Patreon is, it's a way for you to support my podcast efforts more directly and also for us to be in closer contact. If you go to patreon.com slash birthful, you'll get all the nitty gritty details, but know that there are a lot of sponsorship levels starting with just $1 a month. And aside from helping you know, but your donation, your pledge, your whatever you want to call it, that will help to keep the podcast available and free for Mighty Mamas around the world. But it will also allow you access to the Patreon private activity feed. Um, and depending on your reward level, a lot of other cool stuff that will make us more connected and keep us, you know, more in touch. So it, like, for example, if you pledge five dollars a month then you'll get to be the sponsor of a birthful episode just like valerie valerie welsh from birthmark doula and birth services just did you heard at the intro when i asked val why her business was called birthmark she said because just as a birthmark is beautifully and uniquely your own your birth should be as well you can check out Valerie's website at birthmarkdoula.com. And so an enormous thank you to you, Valerie, for being the podcast's first patron. And I hope that all of you or a lot of you or a whole bunch of you go to birthful, sorry, go to patreon.com slash birthful and check out what the options are and show the podcast and myself even more support and more love. So remember, patreon.com slash birthful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So for today's show, I will be talking to Michelle Emanuel, who has 20 years experience as a neonatal pediatric occupational therapist in both hospital and private practice settings. Her knowledge and skills include newborn and infant development, pre and perinatal psychology, autonomic nervous system regulation, infant sensory processing, baby massage and cranial sacral, cranial sacral therapy, and other forms of body work and manual therapy. 
Michelle has been in private practice specializing in the evaluation and treatment of babies with torticollis, which is a significant head-turning preference and or tightness, and pla- and I can never say this, plagiocephaly, which is the proper term for flat head syndrome, which is what I'm going to stick to from now on. Um, so flat head <laughs> flathead syndrome for babies from newborn to one year of age. Michelle has a unique perspective on infant torticollis and flathead syndrome, emphasizing the parent-baby relationship and improving active movement. To help with all of this, she developed and began teaching her tummy time method and classes about 10 years ago. Michelle also leads online assistance for parents who are interested in learning how to help their baby at home. The group is called, is aptly named, Parent Provided Michelle Guided. And in addition to these activities, Michelle enjoys speaking at conferences and teaching classes to both professionals and parents. Michelle, welcome. Thank you. It's so great to have you here. Thank you. Yeah, Great I l- to be here. Good. I love how the connections come around. And, you know, we connected through Allison Hazelbaker, who mm-hmm. did a fabulous show as well. And it's just, I love, there are so many passionate birth professionals out there. Yes. And it's that's what this show is about, right? Talking about your passions, which you do so much with this. It seems from what I just read, <laughs> you are very deep into the baby's nervous systems and and how they move and how their bodies function. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that has such, you know, all about movement and nervous system function, especially early on, you know, has so much to do with what we're talking about today, which is flathead syndrome or plagiocephaly, which you said it right. Or there (laughs) are some other cephalies like brachycephaly and scaphocephaly or dolicocephaly. Those are just other ways to describe the actual shape and formation of the head, but they all have flat spots, you know, so to speak. And so that is something they all have in in common. But plagiocephaly would be where there's flattening on one side of the head or the other. And brachycephaly is in the back of the head is is flat. And then scaphocephaly or dolicocephaly is when it's a very narrow head where it looks like there's two flat spots and the head is very... Um, very narrow. Mm. And see, I only thought there was just one, the one that I can't pronounce. Um, Right. And that's just one way of saying it, but it's sort of a general term too. And you know why we're saying just the general term, because, you know, a recent incident study showed that 47%, so almost half of all babies have cranial molding, flat spots, plagiocephaly, flat head syndrome, cranial molding or flattening of any sort, half of all babies. And so, what we're looking at is maybe sort of like something that we are seeing on a regular basis. And so we need to be treating with, you know, something that can really be helpful because it's, it seems like a lot of babies are being affected by this, whether they're being officially diagnosed or not. And I think that's a little bit underreported. Right. Um, because and- I teach uh, tummy time a lot all over the country and especially in Cincinnati, Ohio. But, and I see a lot of undiagnosed, what I would consider, cranial molding or having flat spots, something that warrants my attention to their movement, which is mm-hmm. why I teach that in baby yoga too, developmental movement. So that that was kind of my concern and why we're doing this show today is because 50% is a large number for yeah. babies to have some sort of molding on their heads that are is affecting them. What is causing the this flat head syndrome? Well, there's not just one thing. So that's kind of the good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that's part of the problem and part of the solution as well is figuring out sort of 
what this baby's story is and what the, which the situation's going on because a lot of what's causing it, um, you know, we can point directly to back to sleep, which started in 1992. Um, when, you know, there was a big look at decreasing acids incidence and they thought that putting babies on their back to sleep would, you know, prevent it and or at least you know reduce it and we saw a dramatic increase at that time you know with that 10 years afterwards and so much so that they had they came up with updated sleep guidelines um that said hey guys we realize that you know sleep on your back puts you more at risk you're gonna have to do active tummy time we're gonna have to you know try to pay attention to this and address it and just be aware we still want you on your backs for sleeping but you know to be aware of it and um so <clears throat> then the safe sleep came up and they still haven't addressed this head turning to the side, which is what really causes the flat spot. You know, it's the lack of mobility and lack of movement. So the, that brings me to the other thing is, which I think is causing it, is just how pregnancy is and pelvic floor dysfunction and decreased movement and sedentary lifestyles. And, um, you know, babies that, were, that get into a malposition and who don't move as much in utero, who early engagers, um, because... I see most of the kids that I see in my practice actually have a propensity to flat spots and from their intrauterine position. And so it's like the babies that go on to have problems with head molding because the head is really made, it's really designed to mold significantly to pass through the vagina. And so it's very susceptible to molding forces. So we understand that a flat surface and gravity and the baby turning the head to one side every time, that sustained pressure over time is going to happen. But a lot of times going back to that's the way the baby was in the womb. And so it was already a propensity. And many of us are going back and looking at those newborn pictures and seeing um, the relationship. But um, the other thing would be just our birthing practices and medicalized birth and forceps and just different forces being used in labor delivery and the use of um, different drugs to elicit really strong contractions and um, to speed up the birthing process and, Babies that are in asynclitic or sunny side up just have birthing position problems, a really prolonged delivery or a fast delivery. We know that um, boys are a little bit more susceptible to having plagiocephaly, although I see that trending and changing, actually, mm -hmm. because I've been, I've been seeing babies for a long time with plagiocephaly or flathead syndrome. With what We can just say, let's just call them flat spots, because guess what? There's a lot of people focusing on this word and this, the flat spot. The flat spot's not even the problem. The flat spot is just a symptom of something that's going on. And the symptom, underlying symptom is that there's a prolonged, you know, lack of movement from that spot. Right. And that's what gets us a little bit into talking of what can parents do to try to balance right. the, you know, to avoid the, the flat spot, but also balance it out with those back to sleep efforts. Ex absolutely. Let me go over just one more thought sure. about um, why, what the cause of, of all of this head molding thing going on. And the other one is just our container and our containment culture, meaning, uh, you know, letting babies, uh, you know, try even just the overuse of swaddling, one thing, which swaddling can be a really helpful thing when it's needed, but the overuse of swaddling. Because we really don't want our babies to be, you know, completely restricted and in inhibit all of their movements. But we must, sometimes we have to to help keep them in that back, you know, lying position before, you know, it decreases their, their startle reflex. 
But the other thing is, you know, sleeping and things like the rock and play make it really hard. And, and we notice that there's a higher incidence of babies that have head molding with the rock and play and also babies that sleep in swings and other type of things, which those go against the back to sleep policy as well, because the back to sleep policy and the safe sleep guidelines are alone back crib. And so that's with one fitted, you know, mattress. And that's not even the use of a blanket for swaddling. They're recommending sleep sacks now. Which is really tough because I understand all the efforts behind the back to sleep and the connections to the two SID results, but that's not what babies need. Right. So it causes for more difficult nights and more difficult parenting because babies want to be held and swaddled and, and, yes. and not swaddled, but held and, 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 and yes. cocooned and feel your skin to skin and all of that. Yeah. Um, for this topic specifically, for the flat head, um, do you happen to have a specific sleep uh, situation that would be better? Um, that you would recommend, like if you if somebody says, what's the best way for my kid to sleep? What would fit your guidelines? Okay, well, that's a great question because, um, you know, sleep is a big deal, especially for babies, and we know they sleep a lot. I love it when babies can be held to sleep, especially in the first, you know, three months of life or the fourth trimester, which is where, you know, those first 12 weeks of life, babies are still really gestating. Um they're really, the human baby is still very much gestating and they need to be held a lot in the caregiver's arms. They need to be in contact with the parent's body. Um, there are, there's a, a nice mattress that I like in particular um, that's made by Secure Beginnings and it's a completely air permeable, breathable mattress so that you can, um, a baby can safely sleep tummy down and know that there's no risk for suffocation. And hmm. yeah, and that is a really great resource. Another one was developed by an osteopath. I really like this. It's called the Sleep Curve Baby Mattress. And it's designed to sort of help. Uh, it's a one piece designed to help with the head shape and it doesn't have a flat spot for there to become a flat spot. Now, um, the downside of this is, is really what we want to talk about is movement because we really want movement to happen. You know, so anything we would do would be compensatory and second behind making sure that babies have movement of their head to both sides in both directions, full, easy and steady. And if they don't, that's what we really want to focus on. There's other things like the Mimos pillow, M-I-M-O-S, and that's sort of a donut shaped pillow. It's a little bit pricey at $100, but if you have a baby that has a problem and we're doing back sleeping and it, we're working on head turning to the non-preferred side and they really don't like it, that perhaps can be very helpful. Um, using something like that and investing in your child's health on that level would be worth it. Um, but I really like changing sleeping positions and this is why I like safe co-sleeping. Um, and to look at all the options that goes beyond the scope of this conversation, but to, you know, point you into Dr. McKenna's work and safe mm -hmm. co-sleeping. Um, I really, really high supporter of that. And that usually babies who co-sleep have, I think, better overall mobility and they have, they work through their intrauterine constrictions better because guess what? I mean, almost every baby I've met, and I've met thousands of babies over the 20 years I've been working, 
I literally, most babies have a head preference to one side. It's just how significant it is. So if you have a baby, you have a baby that has a head preference to one side. And I like to look at everything through a very polyvagal lens, meaning that in a very healthy, adaptive, functioning, resilient way. Meaning that actually the side that your baby likes looking to, that side that they're flat, is actually their strength. It's actually their postural habit. It's actually what they do really, really well. And so when we're working with babies, we realize that all we're doing is trying to add to their skills by going to the other side, by learning to turn their head, by weight bearing through the cranium in a different way. Because the head is born in a lot of different bones, it's like 44 bones in an infant head and like 21 bones in, a, in an adult head. And so literally we're born with almost double the amount of bones. So it's, a, but it's very membranous and they're very moldable. And it has to be. Why? Because... 85% of all the head growth is going to happen in the first year of life. So that has to be, it's like a, it's like a water balloon that's getting filled up over that first year. And so we want the head to be, have all of its mobility. We want it to have optimal pressures and weight bearing, the weight of its own self on a surface, on your body, in different positions, all the way around the cranium for optimal health. And not just to eliminate flat spots, because that's just a symptom of what we're looking at, but to give our children optimal health, to make sure their sinuses work right, to make, the, make sure that their nasal breathing, to make sure that their mid-face develops, to make sure that their oral motor function is good. Most of these babies um, that have persistent flattening that require us to pay attention to it, because all babies, you know, resolve it, because all babies come out because they've had, you know, weeks of intrauterine gestation constriction, and that's a normal thing to be in, that physiological flexion with those little soft tissue um, contractors that make them all bent up. That's a normal thing, and we want to work through those in the first, hopefully, three to six months of life. So all babies are doing this, but um, we want to, you know, open up and, and have mobility to transfer all the way through the cranium, which is another reason why turning the head 50% of the night to one side and 50% to the other side is really important. Um, another thing to note about babies and their head shape is that no baby newborn to eight weeks at least or nine weeks of age should really be sleeping on the back of their head. They need to have their head you know, rotated to one direction or the other when they're on their back. Um, it just makes for a really, you know, hard time in the skull. It's really, really flat in the back, and it makes it very difficult, you know, to pan out. So you said newborn to eight weeks should sleep on the back of their head or shouldn't? Should not. Should not. Should okay. be, yeah, they should have their head uh, rotated to one side or the other, and hopefully 50-50. Again, these are positive things. Like your baby's super good to the right, and they really like looking over there. But let's help your baby learn and gain the skills of coming to the left, because in my mind, to be a healthy, happy baby – we need to be able to be comfortable in all positions, and that includes tummy time. And all of these babies, you know, really need more of it that have any flat spots because that's what's really going to engage the appropriate developmental movement. And, yes, that can be through baby wearing and against your body, but it also needs to be on a surface with the parent, on the floor, especially if we have flat spots because it's particularly difficult for this population, and they need a lot of help and encouragement, and they need to be do it, doing it in a way that their nervous system can be regulated and they can feel good about it. And, and, you know, confident. But we want these babies for health and resiliency purposes to build really healthy babies and equip our babies really fully to be able to turn their head to the right and the left. That's the baby's sophistication, social engagement, to be able to look at each other and orient to the mother's voice. And so if a baby is looking to the right and there's a flat spot on the right side and the baby hasn't looked over to the left and doesn't 
very often. We want to equip that baby, get the mom over there, get her using her voice, which is a very powerful therapeutic tool to elicit a normal reflex that these babies are equipped with, which is called orienting reflex to their parent. And so that means engaging those head turning muscles and equipping these babies with finding their parent. And it's very satisfying and it's very healing and very helpful for these babies. And that's what I'm all about. So and yeah, I, we're talking about flat spots, but we're talking about much, much more. Oh, no. And uh, you just, I've been taking notes like crazy because you just gave like, whoa, so much information <laughs> just now. <laughs> um, and I, but but that last thing, I love that it is not like I'm trying to turn baby's head, but through my voice, get her to come to look at me and yeah. that. So she's turning her head rather yes. than me. Turn, that's fantastic. Now, there's different levels and layers of that because certain babies are really tight and they have the, what, what we call armoring patterns, okay, which our nervous system um, holds in the connective tissue, and these babies are to get stuck in this position. So we want to work with the nervous system through primarily the skin organ, but also through the eyes and also through the ears, because the parent's voice, in particular the mother, um, is their vibrations. Our voice are vibrations, and they're entering in, and they're vibrating the eardrum, and they're vibrating these ossicles, and they're, you know, the inner ear muscles are working which are linked to the muscles of facial expression, which is why it's great to engage the babies socially, looking up at each other, raising our eyebrows. And then it goes to the brain. It's transduced into a way that our brain can interpret the sound that we've always been hearing. And so that's a powerful way. Now, some babies are going to be at a certain level with that. And so you use the voice and you watch the baby and you notice how they are. And then sometimes we do gently use our hands to facilitate that along with turning to the voice but it's all about equipping these babies with all postural skills because many times with the flathead syndrome it comes along with what we're hearing all about torticollis you know everybody's talking about that and i even you know allison was mentioning it too because it you know it warrants it the other thing that i was going to say though about the babies that have persistent flat spots is that many times like almost all the time like almost all the time and i see a lot of babies a lot of babies if there's persistent flat spots, these babies do not have normal tongue function. Okay? Hmm. And so that's what I'm calling cranial nerve dysfunction. And that's just where, and it could be very transient. It's very, it's a normal variant for these little immature beings who are still gestating outside the womb for 12 weeks to have these little transient abnorm abnormalities. They're, it's common, and it's that's their vulnerabilities, and that's what they're asking us to work on. That's the last part of the gestation is the environment and the caregiving and the interaction, okay? So um, we find these and we work on them, you know? And a lot of it is about the head turning, you know, localizing the parent, raising, using the facial expressions and using the voice and active movement. Mm -hmm. So uh, from what you said, I wanted to bring up, there was a few things. One was uh, to tell the listeners that mamas, if you're hearing thunder in the background, it's because there's a thunderstorm here. So uh. how weird is that? It's March. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I can't apologize for the thunder, but that's what it is if you're wondering. Um, second, you mentioned the safe sleep guidelines. And I did yeah. do a podcast with Teresa Pittman. Wonderful. Way back, like when I was starting the podcast, so over a year ago. So, mamas, go and listen because she'll give you the the yeah. safe sleep seven um, for co sleeping, so you can do it 
safely. Um, and more recently, Diane Diane Wiesinger came yeah. on the show also and gave us a song that tells you about the <laughs> Safe Sleep Seven. So she's awesome. She's they're all fantastic. Yeah, I love all of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, Take everyone too, you know. Yes, yeah. yeah, and you. I was going to ask you. You were saying different resources in the Mimos pillow. Pillow. And I'm trying to remember the name. I saw this cap. It's like a turtle. Turtle. The turtle. The turtle. Um, you know, the turtle. I, I really am not the biggest fan of the turtle. Um, I tried to get in touch with her a couple times and give her some feedback, but we never connected. Um, Number one, I don't love hats on newborns because it interferes with one of our all fact. It's, it's our all faction sense where the mother really needs to smell the baby and the head is very full of scent. Now, some people say, well, then don't only wear it during sleep. But the other thing of it is there's a risk of overheating when you sleep with the hat. And I know it's been passed by the FDA. I just am not a big fan of covering the head. Um, so that's one thing. The and for the listeners is, that don't quite know what that is, because it's, it's like a little cap that has sort of a, a raised, almost a, an attached tail, but it's sewn throughout so that wherever you put that, the baby can't put the head back on that. So it kind of forces baby to turn his head to one side or another. So it can be really helpful in the first few weeks of life, but after that, the babies get very strong and they move out of it and it's, it hasn't been as effective. So if you get it early on, it could possibly help, but there are, you know, just considerations to having that. It's not my favorite thing, but you know, I am, I like modifications and I like equipment when we need it, but I really, you know, I'm kind of a purist when it comes to like mm -hmm. really helping them because if you get the, you know, the baby to get a lot more active movement, they'll stay over there, you know? Right. Yeah, no, I was just curious when you're because I've seen it and mm -hmm. who perfect person to ask about it. <laughs> so what we, you know, there, I, I'm guessing there's different levels to these flat spots. Um, and you mentioned some to, some ways to treat the symptoms uh, or to treat the causes to alleviate the symptom. Are there different levels and more in-depth treatments for uh, flathead syndrome? Well, there are classification systems like through like occupational and physical therapy and like plagiocephaly clinics often use what's called the Argenta classification and it has stages or grades and that's one way. Is like the other people will just say mild to severe, you know. Um, it depends on if people are making measurements, you know, um, it, it so it, the thing of it is you just kind of eyeball it like pediatricians are often the ones that pick up on this right and so they either are concerned or they aren't concerned and many of the times um, they'll talk to to their clients about doing tummy time and repositioning and if that doesn't work and babies are uh, often referred to helmeting clinics you know as well mm-hmm um, so then it is sort of the pediatrician's job to pick up on it. Well, I mean, moms can take a look and say, hmm, maybe I should ask about this. But Yeah, and thankfully for social media, actually, and Facebook, moms are getting very savvy, you know, about picking up on things themselves. And mothers are very good about trusting, you know, their intuition. And I think for some of this, it's validating them and trusting their intuition. But, you know, the pediatricians do have a big responsibility for this. And what I see happening is a lot of... Um, it'll fix itself, it's going to get better on its own, it'll get better with time, and all of those are statements are completely inaccurate and false. And they're giving 
not a good picture. Or they just tell parents, you know, go do tummy time. But you're talking about just go do something with our most vulnerable population for that. They don't like it. And they're not going to have their easiest time with it because of the situation. They're already predisposed. And we already know they've got some stuck spots going on. If you've got a baby that's not turning their head and neck, and that's going to be at the very least alerting and over arousing to the central nervous system. So what I do is try to teach parents how to work with a nervous system just at that right level in order to increase just that right amount of stress to just promote developmental change and maturation and what they need to do, but yet help them stay calm and regulated and really embodied at the same time. Mm-hmm. No, that sounds like really because well, you hear it so much that, oh, I tried yeah. tummy time, but baby doesn't like it. Baby doesn't like it. Like I hear all day long, my baby hates tummy time. Mm-hmm. And we always prove that to be false in my at tummy time headquarters in my office in Cincinnati. <laughs> so um, how? What do, What are the suggestions <laughs> well, to, the, so that baby the, likes tummy time? Yeah. Well, the, you know, there's if you Google it, there's the same five suggestions like get down on the floor with your baby, put them at an angle, you know, use a prop them up and use a mirror. I mean, there's a lot of things, you know, sing to your baby because now we know that, you know, our voice is not only something nice to communicate with, but it actually is therapy for our baby's, you know, reflexes and their developmental maturation. Um, you know, that's those, all of those things are really super helpful. But the other thing is learning when the baby's peak of excitability is at tummy time. And when you do, you roll them in and out based on that. And so some babies like it for 15 seconds. And other babies like it for 15 minutes. And it doesn't matter how long they like it. We just focus on how much they do like it and how we can help them like it better, rolling them in and out each time. So letting them calm down in between. And that really builds a very strong, resilient, sort of like interval training in a way, what I call riding the wave, you know. You know, being in tummy time and sort of getting excited and then, you know, rolling out of tummy time and calming down and, and settling and, and resting and then recovering and then redoing it again. Mm-hmm. That's a great analogy. And like 15 seconds, that's that's super short. It doesn't matter. Like if you get the quality and you get the baby in their body being able to engage at the right level that they are, meeting the baby where they are in their unique disposition and where they're at in their nervous system maturation and what they need in their movement and their postural development, it doesn't matter because if you get that quality in the 15 seconds, you're guaranteed to get a longer time next time, maybe a week down the road, two weeks, but it will happen. You get the quality and then the quantity comes. It always happens. I've no, been and doing this a really long time. I really like that you brought that that you gave it a number in fifteen seconds because I think that those moms that are, are and, and parents and dads that are saying, you know, baby hates tummy time, aren't thinking that fifteen seconds and then roll out and go back in is enough. Do you know right. what I mean? Some moms come into my office and they say, my baby hates tummy time. He'll only do five minutes. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's fantastic. Five minutes of tummy time is a lot of wonderful stuff. And, and we're all at a different level of how we're processing things and, and how we're communicating to our, our parents. So that's another thing that this kind of in tuned tummy time does is it get, helps us get to know our child even better, you know, and they're, they're how we're going to communicate and how we're going to negotiate these relationships for, you know, the rest of our parenting relationship. This is the beginning of that. And so um, really, yeah, focusing on what they're doing really well. And 15 seconds can be really powerful, especially if you get a baby who 
has a, a lot of arm that armoring tension patterns. You know, how I can describe armoring is like if you've been in several car accidents or been hit on your bike once and then you see something coming at you and your whole body cringes up without there being any real threat. That's the armoring thing. And sometimes that happens to babies. They just get into certain positions and it, they stay there in a rigid way. So we work to sort of gently coax out those movement patterns. And that's where the rolling in and out helps too. Not just plunking the baby down on their tummy face down. You know, starting them out on their back and engaging socially back and forth, maybe cooing at each other, maybe making some eye contact and, you know, letting baby know what's happening and how much you love them. And you roll them over in a tummy time. They're really ready to do it. And they really like looking at your face. And this is where all the recommendations come in where, yeah, get down with them and let them see you and sing and let them smell you. You're right there with them. And the baby wearers always ask me, well, isn't baby wearing tummy time? Yes, but so is tummy time on the floor is baby wearing because you're on the floor with your baby practically, you know, wearing them. on. The, you're on the floor with your baby. It's very engaged. It's very attached. It's just using the surface because there are babies really do benefit and need because of our container culture, because of our pregnancies, because of our, our pelvic floors, because of our sedentary lifestyles. We need a little bit more firmer surface for some of these babies because if half the babies or more have flat spots and movement problems, then we know we need a little bit firmer surface to move against. And so when you move against the firmer surface of the floor and a blanket with your parent, that really helps to open up, you know, all of those things. But it can be really, really, really arousing. So 15 seconds is good for you. You roll in and out and do that several times. And then by the next week, you're doing two minutes or three minutes. And it gradually builds from there. Wow. That... It's... <sighs> I'm like, mind blown. <laughs> well, and then so the other thing about, you know, flat spots is, you know, we know that based on, you know, the fun functional matrix um, theory is that the bones really don't grow. They're grown. And so bones will grow based on how the soft tissue is pulling on them. And that's why the flat spots are there, too, because the cranium doesn't have the soft tissues pulling optimally on it. And that's a, a concept of the whole body, um, which is why I named my business many, many years ago, whole body, because that is the difference. Um, you know, that's where the tongue and, and all the posture and the whole body supports those head and neck movements early on. The head is very heavy and their muscles early on in their neck have a lot of ways to go before they're strong. I mean, babies take eight to 10 weeks to really develop adequate head control on their own. It's really a short period of time overall. But anyway, so that's another thing about head shape changing is how the tummy time helps because it's actually pulling on the bones of the skull to make it, you know, make them shift and change and open up and decrease flat spots. So the, what I'm hearing is the biggest thing for parents to do every day as much as possible is shake it up, like move it around, <laughs> like yeah. get baby in different positions, different places, hard, soft, on yeah. them, not on them, on, yep. you know, rolled in, roll out. Variety. Like, yes. And also limiting the time in the containers and, and limiting swaddling to a therapeutic dose and limiting restrictive positioning, okay? And, you know, eliminating sleeping in upright containers and doing a little bit baby yoga or developmental movement, holding the baby a lot, um, you know, those type of things. Those are easy ones. Another way is if you think your baby has a flat spot, I would definitely have it addressed by a professional infant body worker. I mean, somebody who knows how to do this, like craniosacral therapy or an osteopath or somebody along those lines, because 
doing, I like to do between two and six sessions because that's enough usually. Now, bone is the densest tissue we have. So, you know, the flat spots, they do begin to change, especially it should begin changing if you have an introduction of any of this therapy. Um, and so you, you, but it's not an immediate thing and that's not a miracle thing. You don't take your baby, you know, to get a flat spot looked at and worked on and it immediately is, you know, unflat. It's a process and usually takes between two and six sessions, sometimes a little bit more depending upon the severity and the thickness of the baby's head and how, you know, how well they respond and how sensitive they are. But it's fair to say that they will generally see benefits from the first one because it's like the the bone is harder, thicker tissue, but the fascia or the muscles or any other kinks that are tight there will start relaxing. Yes, right you'll, away. you'll yeah, you'll see you should see an immediate improvement. Yeah, in something like you said, the facial expressions soften, or the baby's actually turning to the other side, or the shoulders are dropped down, or. Um, you know, something will be really obvious. And sometimes it's very obvious even in head shape. I mean, that's what I notice is like, wow, it looks different already. Mm. But it's not just, you know, through, I just want to say that, you know, it's not just through um, the cranial sacral because that's sort of a passive application of engaging the tissues and re eliminating restrictions in the soft tissue. But it's also then let, getting the baby to follow through with the active movement to support that. Mm -hmm. To work mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. with the practitioner and then do your your tummy time yes and and all the other movements that we talked about very yes. cool yeah absolutely can and, and i think we talked about this like the effects of a, of a flat head or a flat spot on development um yeah. is there anything you wanted to add to that piece yeah i think you know um for a while because I, in the context of I worked at a children's hospital for a really long time, and, you know, we would get kids with torticollis and plagiocephaly, and, you know, we would look at it from through a research eye. So a lot of research has actually been published about plagiocephaly. And um, for a while, we were looking at developmental milestones, and we noticed that babies, they were delayed. Um, you know, the first studies came back, and they showed motor delays up to 17 months, and then to three, and then school age. And eventually, the kids kind of caught up with the rest of their peers. So the best thing we could say is that it does maybe delay or hinder or make it maybe a little bit more challenging to get through those developmental hurdles, but ultimately they, they do, okay? Um, another thing that could be, um, and we know that already because if they've got a flat spot, we know movement is an issue. You know, it's transitory. You know, it's going to work through with growth and development and maturation by the time you're, you know, a teenager or whatever. Um, but, you know, that's one thing. Another thing it looked at, babies with plagiocephaly had a higher incidence of eustachian tube dysfunction. And so better known as, you know, inner ear dysfunction, which, which is, you know, indicated by ear infections and just, you know, issues with that. Hmm. Um, so that is sometimes an indicator. Um, I think we could speculate pretty um, easily that there would be um, jaw issues in this population because an asymmetry of the skull because where there's a flat spot that's not it's not just a flat spot because the head like I mentioned in a baby is like a big thick water balloon so if I were to push up on one side of the head and make it flat there's an adaptation that happens all around the skull so every you know, other things are pushed out and there's bulgy areas which I think are much more interesting than the flat spots um, and so the, the cranium is meant to accommodate and adapt and change and morph and grow and move around to protect the brain 
in the spinal cord, and it does. So I don't believe that plagiocephaly, brachiocephaly, scaphocephaly, any of these flathead syndromes actually hinders brain growth and development because I've seen too many MRIs with babies that have significant head molding and their brains look perfectly cute in there. Maybe sometimes they're shifted over to midline. And that's actually, I think some of the studies were like they shifted over to the midline a little bit, but actually it's not about the brain and spinal cord, but we think it's about movement, you know? And so for whatever that reason is, um, I think other, so if you have one side pushed up, you know, you've got an asymmetry and the jaw is the only single unpaired bone that has articulations, meaning it touches both the right and the left sides of the body. So it's very susceptible to asymmetry. And I would assume that, you know, if you've got one side pushed forward, that that could lead to more jaw problems. I would think orthodontia. Um, I think sinuses sometimes, you know, I could speculate. Mm-hmm. And breastfeeding. So, oh, absolutely. I mean, and the thing with breastfeeding is so wonderful too, besides getting wonderful breast milk, is that you can help a baby really work through a head flattening thing using breastfeeding because you have to use so many different mechanics and get into positions and it really makes your, you know, a healthier organism in that way. But even breastfed fed babies that breastfeed fairly well, I'm still, you know, most of my clientele, 95% actually or more are breastfeeding and which I love. And, um, but I just, I still notice it in breastfed babies and they'll still compensate. And those are the babies we want to look at the tongue function and we want to check and make sure that the baby has an optimal tongue function because the tongue is like the rudder of a boat and the boat is really big and the rudder is kind of small, but it sure steers and guides, you know, the whole body. And in a baby, the tongue is a sensory organ and it's also a muscle and it's got lots of different, um, you know, involvements in that. And, and especially with babies, we know now they all have a head turning preference, but there's a, a range of how significant that is. Some babies it's very small and insignificant and some babies it's really big. But if the head is being pulled over to one side and there's head flattening that we know the tongue has to function based on the body's, you know, position. And so we look really, really closely at the tongue function and, and we'll check for restrictions under the tongue, under the lips and the cheek space. But then also look at the function of the tongue, which um, you mentioned um, the Atlas in your podcast with Allison Hazelbaker, and I'm reliable in that, and I use that in my practice on a regular basis, which is assessing the tongue for having oral restrictions. Um, but there's also babies that don't have oral restrictions. They're still not moving their tongues, and that's a movement problem. And this is my thing with pediatricians right now, and I'm going to do my best to help my community out as much as I can. If, if a baby were to go into a pediatrician's office here and their left arm wasn't moving, like some of these tongues aren't moving, there would be cause for concern. They would send them to brachial plexus clinic or they would send them, you know, if they're like, wow, this left arm really isn't moving. We're comparing it to the right, you know, and they would send them on. But there's babies who's showing up in pediatrician's office who are having significant tongue dysfunction. Babies who can't elevate their tongue, babies who can't lateralize their tongue, babies who can't cup with their tongue, babies who can't use that wave-like undulating motion from the mid to back tongue to create a really big suction so they can efficiently remove milk from their mother's breast, and even if they're bottle feeding, so that they can coordinate the sex while breathe pattern. And these babies don't have it, and they're being told, oh, there's nothing wrong with your baby, but there absolutely is. So we're having, we're noticing increase in, in tongue inhibition. So we know that can go along with, um, you know, swaddling and sleep positioning and head preference to one side and head flattening and all these other movement uh, related issues. Mm. 
It's so um, I just I'm fascinated how everything connects, but it makes total sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you wake up one morning with a kink in your neck, you know how that's going to mess you up the whole day. Yeah, and but and, I, I really think these pediatricians need to really pay attention, and I really encourage moms. I want you guys to be big advocates for yourself and for your babies, and ask your pediatrician. You know, if you don't think your baby, if your baby has a flat spot assess the tongue function and don't let them just tell you your baby's fine. They have to put two gloves on and get under the tongue to check for these things. They need to lift the tongue up from the floor of the mouth. They need to look at elevation and lateralization and cupping and peristalsis. And these are real activities that the tongue is supposed to do. And this is going very underdiagnosed. And like I said, it's not always an oral restriction. It's There's a functional issue going on and it's movement. And it's paired with the same thing as we're having t trouble turning our heads and the flat spots, all of that is connected. And the tongue is really helpful and responsible for shaping the midface and the whole cranium. It pushes up and out, and that's what helps to shape the cranium out here in gravity. Mm -hmm. If it's not the pediatrician, what other care providers, professionals out there are completely capable of figuring out tongue function and being able ah. to diagnose or, or suggest things? Great question. So IBCLCs, International Board Certified Lactation Consultants, are a great, wonderful resource. Um, and you definitely, you know, want to get with one of those. Um, even if you're not nursing, a lot of these um, IBCLCs are really highly educated oral motor experts and really um, add a lot to it. Um, but you do want to ask some questions and, and make sure that they're actually what we call tongue-tie savvy. You know, it's kind of a little thing so that they know that they're educated because some people say, well, yeah, that's a little bit of a tie or, um, yeah, I think maybe or maybe not. It is really not like that. There's actually a standardized way of um, addressing this and approaching it. And there are parameters and there are certain specific things. It's not a guess and it's not a – some of it's intuition. And this, there's a lot of art in this science as well. But there are, you know, kind of structured movement things, principles that have to happen. And that's occupational therapist speaking in me. So that leads me to say, yes, occupational therapists who are specialized in especially infant feeding, um, any OT or PT or speech language pathologist that spent any time in a NICU where I learned, I worked for a long, long time. That's where I learned how to do everything. Um, sometimes um, you'll even hear, um, you know, uh, Myofunctional therapists, some of them have really kind of delved into the infant world, and that's a, a good way. Those are the primary ones that come up for now for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's great, the fantastic resources, because just because, you know, your pediatrician might not know, then who do you turn to? So without exactly. necessarily switching pediatricians. Yeah, um, no, no, don't do that, because a lot of it is just... You know, the pediatricians are, you know, they have to be knowledgeable on a lot of different things. And this is a specialty area mm -hmm. and one of, you know, of sort of you got to have a lot of education about, I think, you know. Michelle, what are some other of your favorite resources that parents can use both online and, and if the real world? Oh, well, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Facebook and getting connected with that. I'm, you know, if you're pregnant and you're, and you're interested in movement and, and what I particularly love, belly mapping, like figuring out what position your baby's in and, and really encouraging your baby to stay active in the womb um, and to make sure you're getting active are things like spinning babies and miles circuit and um, 
you know, those types of things. If it's other resources, you know, I would say, uh, you know, I love pathways.org. They're, mm -hmm. um, yeah, they're such a great resource and they have beautiful pictures that you can print out and even kind of look and eyeball your baby's development and they've got sensory processing education. They've got OTPTs and speech who have really equipped that well with, um, really fabulous resources. Um, I, uh, I think those are good right now. I love the concept of the aware baby, you know, Aletha Salter's, um, idea of, you know, babies are using crying for two purposes. One's communication, like pick me up, I'm hungry, you know, whatever the communication is, I want to be held more. Um, and then the other thing is stress relief and sort of knowing the difference between the two and how to really hold your baby when they are crying for stress relief. And I like that concept because um, mm -hmm. babies cry. And I love being able to have babies stop crying. You know, and we can use movement techniques to do that and, um, you know, up and down motions. But also, too, sometimes, you know, just being the container and just helping the baby sort of, you know, heal that little place that they want to talk about. Yeah. Um, and I've spoken, so, so things that come to mind while you're speaking is um, Karen Strange. I spoke to her about baby's oh! birth experience. <laughs> I love Karen Strange. So, so there's a podcast for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love, oh, Karen's fantastic. And, you know, I know these are mostly moms that are listening here, but if you're professionals, like I took her in our P class, which is, you know, neonatal resuscitation. Mm -hmm. It's really helpful and really a great class. She's fantastic. I love her so much. Um, yeah. Are you familiar with the book Itsy Bitsy Yoga and Itsy Bitsy yeah. Toddler? Yeah, I am. And actually, when I um, first got into the movement piece, I wanted to call it something other than developmental movement because I was working as an OT in the hospital and I wanted to separate out my, my life from there and I wanted to make it a little bit less about that. So I turned to those books and that's where I, I first got started. And then I got so interested in it, I went and did a yoga teacher training and became a, a certified yoga teacher. And I've developed a baby yoga program that's going to be, people are going to be able to certify in if they want. So that was a great start for me. And those are great resources for parents. And she's got beautiful pictures in there. Unfortunately, her she's not teaching anymore. I'm not hmm. really sure what's happening with that community. She had a lot of strong teachers. Hopefully there will be a little resurgence. But there are, you know, other people that are developing curriculum curriculums too to sort of meet the need but those are great books um and just a wonderful little program and, and it's very much about all the concepts we've talked about in here movement and singing and connection and social engagement and you know nurturing the nervous system those are great cool yeah yeah and oh. for Go. baby reflexology i really like sue ricks um gentle touch reflex she's got a, a lovely little book and she's also got a, a website that you can access her. Um, and because I, I love reflexology for, for babies because I think it's particularly calming to the nervous system. And it's a great way to connect with your child and, you know, feel really good about it. And then also have something as they grow to be able to offer them. Mm -hmm. and I still connect with my kids all through their feet still. Right, and then and as they as they grow, it's tools they can use even when they're not with you. So it's something exactly. that you're giving them for life. Exactly. Yeah, very cool, Michelle. It's been such a pleasure having you here. If at people want, because we could talk all day, but if people want to connect with you or see what you're doing or follow what you're up to, how can they do that? 
Okay, well, if you're on Facebook and you want to work with me through that media, you can join the group that you mentioned, Parent Provided, Michelle Guided. You can email me at emmanuelot at yahoo.com, E-M-A-N-U-E-L-O-T at yahoo.com. You can go to my website, www.wholebodyllc.com. Um, and I've got a Facebook professional page called Tummy Time, capital T's, no space, and it's the one that's at, in Cincinnati, Ohio. And you could like that page, and I post there um, little memes and helpful tips about tummy time. Very cool. And and we're you know let us know when you develop that yoga that that infant or baby yoga program. Yeah. yeah, it's in it's in development now, and I'm about ready you know to undo it. And there um there are a lot of people who are doing it, and you don't even really have to have you know a whole lot. You just have to have a passion for it. You know what I mean? And be able to read baby's cues. And so don't wait anybody to start you know doing maybe a little yoga program. And I've you know I've actually trained a lot of people across the country. You might find a lot of people that are in have been trained actually you know in, in your community um, with this. But go move forward with it because it's so much fun. Get babies into a little chair pose and a little <laughs> tree pose, and it's very calm and relaxing. And also because it's so harmonizing and balancing because we do it on one side and then we do it on the other side, you know. And that helps to work out some of these flat spots too, you know. But I will keep you posted on all of that. Fantastic. I love it. Thank you so, so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Mighty Mamas, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Stay in touch by following Birthful on Facebook or Twitter or subscribe at birthful.com. And if you want to further support the podcast and join my adventure in figuring out how to do things differently, then go to patreon.com slash birthful and check out all the different pledges and reward levels, including an exclusive monthly Q&A chat with me and much more. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous birthful library. Happy listening.